Hi, I'm Dr. Judy, and welcome to Supercharged Life, where I help you discover new ways to create success, wellness, and fulfillment, and give you tangible tools to supercharge your life. I am just so thrilled to welcome the guests that we have today. These guys got the art of social interaction down. I was so impressed with the both of them when I got to be a guest on their podcast, The Art of Charm Podcast. And they're here to teach us all how to supercharge our social relationships and have genuine, comfortable, authentic conversations. Welcome to AJ Harbinger and Johnny Zubak. Yay! Thank you. Thank you both for being here. I was so impressed with the work that you guys are doing because you really marry the science and the art together to teach people how to overcome social challenges. And we all know how important social relationships are, but it's amazing because I've heard you guys say things like, oh, I was socially awkward or we're introverts. And of course, I don't see you guys that way now. And I also think there's a lot of misconceptions about introverts to begin with. But what do you think are some of the misconceptions of introverts? I'll start with one. I've, I've heard of people thinking that introverts don't need social interaction, that they don't even like it. So what are some of the ones that you guys have heard or experienced yourselves as self-labeled introverts? I think the one that we, we're trying to make everyone aware of is a lot of people wear the idea of being introverted as a badge or an excuse for not having to learn these skills or put themselves out or that, that they're, they're incapable of doing it. Mm -hmm. We're in a world that rewards extroversion. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you need to be able to talk to people to win them over, to get them to work on your project, to get them to marry you, to get them to be a part of your life. So because there's all this pressure to be extroverted, we hear time and time again from extra, uh, from introverts that they feel like they're at a disadvantage. Mm. And because they feel a disadvantage, they can, like Johnny said, choose to opt out entirely and just wear it as an excuse. Or on the opposite, they're like, how do I push through this? How do I figure this out? But no matter what, and the Harvard happiness study looked at this, mm -hmm. the quality of your relationships deeply impacts your life from your mental health, to your physical well-being, to your longevity. So we know that relationships, communication are a huge part of us being fulfilled and being happy, but we're not taught this in schools, right? right? We're not getting educated on social skills. So we have to learn it either from our families or from our friends. And sometimes we don't have those opportunities. So we really feel stuck. To go along with that science, there was also a study out of even the small interactions, the day-to-day -day ones that you have with the door person or your Uber driver, those all go a long way in helping you have a healthy social biome. And all those little interactions, they sort of add up and they keep you talking, they keep you going outward, they, they keep you being able to read uh, micro expressions and I think a lot of people like to think they can cheat all this with technology. I'm like, right. well, I skyped, I skyped with my mom this morning, so I'm good. But the, <laughs> the actuality there is, uh, there is, we don't have enough definition in order to be able to to copy the micro expressions that are that are going on that lead mm -hmm. to a fulfilling interaction. And so what we're left with is what uh, some scientists are saying is the equivalent of a Big Mac if you're hungry, though right. it's going to do the job and you may feel filled at the moment, but it's actually on the long term lacking. Right. And I think that we're only now beginning to really discuss social skills as much mm -hmm. as we have been. I feel like 10 years ago, it was sort of labeled what was called soft skills. And somehow people kind of 
put it on the back burner, sort of like, let's work on those researcher skills or let's work on technology skills. But then you're not working on this, which impacts so many elements of our well-being physically and mentally. I think just recently, as I was getting more into the literature, I'm finding that there's clearly a loneliness epidemic. One study showed that it is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day if you're saying that you're a lonely person. And two out of five people in America are saying that their relationships are not meaningful. One out of five are saying that they feel socially isolated every day. And interestingly, this is really associated with some adverse health risks, like 29% increase of coronary heart disease, 32% risk of stroke. I mean, so this is a really serious problem. And I'm so glad that you guys are here to help us learn more about it because I think sometimes people feel overwhelmed if they were labeled an introvert or they were awkward or they were bullied. I think sometimes people feel like either you have it or you don't. And then as adults, they just even self-label. They'll say, I'm just an awkward person. I just don't like parties. I, I'm, I'm just going to be this way for the rest of my life. So what do you say to those people? Because I know you have them as clients that you guys coach these guys all the time. So what do you say to them when they kind of come with this sort of dejected mindset already before they even get into things? Well, I think a big part of it is not having enough experience, period. Mm -hmm. So you talked about some negative experience, but a lot of us just don't have a lot of social experience. And the more we are on our devices, the more isolated we become. So it's a skill. We're talking social skills, meaning it's learned. It's something that has to be practiced and it has to be something that's habitual, as Johnny was saying. So for a lot of our clients who come to us, the first thing we do is go, well, let's look at how many conversations you've been in the last month, the last mm -hmm. year. And many, many people now in the days of Uber and Postmates and Amazon, they don't have to interact with anyone. Yes. You're not forced to, as Johnny says, standing in line at the bank having to deal with the person next to you, the person in front of you, talking to people. Well, we don't have to do that anymore because we have a device that we communicate with. And with that lack of experience, then of course, all of those beliefs that you talked about, those insecurities override. And immediately you self-label and you say, oh, well, that's for someone else. That's not for me. So when we quantify the amount of experience or lack thereof, we now realize, oh, I just need to gain some experience in this area. And our job is really to make that fun. And we always say experience points for the video gamers out there, the equal confidence points. Mm -hmm. The more of these little interactions you have, the more they build over time to that charismatic person you want to become. And I think another thing of this is we need to be talking about this a lot more. Those are alarming statistics. Mm -hmm. Why are we not talking about this regularly? And why is it that people who we feel are a little bit out of it socially are awkward or, or, or broken. There is nothing wrong in learning how to develop these things. No one is born with great social skills. It is your environment and growing up is where you've put these things together. And as a psychologist, I'm, I'm sure you get the question all the time of, of what are your clients like? I bet they're kind of sloppy and they're messed up. And it's like, well, no, actually a lot of great uh, and high achievers come to therapy or look to get uh, more skills in order to, to succeed at a higher level. And that's across the board. So are some people a little bit behind in that? Yes. Do some people come because they want to supercharge to use your word, um, uh, in their career. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But it's, 
It's people who run the gamut. Social skills is something that we all need and we're mm -hmm. all uh, looking to get better with them. And so I don't, why there's this, this stigma tied to it is beyond me. Do you guys have any quick tips where you teach people the art of self-assessment when it comes to social skills? Well, one of our favorite exercises we do here in Hollywood with our clients is we actually send them out with a notebook out onto Hollywood Boulevard and we ask them to survey people on what their first impression is. Oh my gosh, that's so scary. Walking up to people <laughs> on the street and say, write down three words to describe me. Now, again, these people don't know anything about your past, who you are. All they have is a split second judgment. And for a lot of us, we don't realize what our first impression is. So this is a really powerful exercise, one, for that self-assessment to get that self-awareness that we need, but two, to realize that people perceive us a lot better than we perceive ourselves. Yeah. So we have a lot of clients who are expecting to get awkward or weird or, uh, I can't believe you're doing this, get away from me. And instead they get outgoing, fun, confident, mm -hmm. charismatic, words they would never use to describe themselves. Wow. And you go, well, wait a second, a stranger on the street saw that in you? You've mm -hmm. been giving this off this whole time. And the flip side of that is a lot of clients write us after and they're like, hey, I went back to my hometown and did that when I was down and it felt really great to see the world respond to me in that way and not let my own insecurities beat me up. Wow. I, I can't believe that you guys put people to that task. And Hollywood Boulevard, I mean, that's a difficult social milieu to say the least. Have you guys done a version of this exercise yourself? Of course. It and started in New York. Yeah. And, <laughs> oh and Union Square. And, and, and Union Square? Yes. Oh, you know, this is giving me some anxiety just <laughs> listening to it. Some, Probably means I have to do this exercise. Yeah. <laughs> I would video. highly recommend it. I think everyone should do it. Um, something else that was mentioned there about having that self-awareness. I know for myself growing up and being in, in my early twenties, I, I had always felt that there was this, this glass ceiling that mm -hmm. in my career that I was not able to get through. And no matter what things I changed, no matter how many times I decided to, to ruin everything and start from scratch and take another running, um, start at it that I just kept hitting this wall. And it wasn't until I got involved in self-development and, and, and interaction and social skills that I realized that not only was I now finally um, able to get through this wall, but the wall didn't actually even exist. Mm. And so, and if you're listening to this and you feel that, that you, there is much more for you and, and who you are and what you deserve in life, but for whatever reason, you're unable to bring it into your reality and you feel that it is out of reach then being honest with yourself that there is a lacking of skills there and or and beliefs which will of upon fixing that will will blow your mind how easily and how and just where and just how easy you were to bring that in and and it's just it takes just admitting that that that, that deficiency in your life yeah you know both of you guys are talking about the crippling power of negative beliefs or self-limiting beliefs, because again, sometimes you believe actually that your skills are way worse than they are. And other times, as you mentioned, there's a invisible ceiling that you think that you have to somehow break through. And then you realize maybe there is no ceiling. And so it does start with an honest self-assessment, but it's so hard for people to go there. I think sometimes there's even more limiting beliefs in that area of, sure. oh, but what if I go here and I, I discover my worst fears? Well, what happens when that 
occurs when you make people do these exercises. And what if they do get, I'm weird, I'm awkward, they get those types of feedbacks back? How do they navigate around that and keep going? So the exercise and the goal of the exercise is 50 signatures. And what we found is that approaching 50 people on the street, you may get one or two negatives, but you're going to get overwhelmingly people who are responding to you. And with that, we see over the course of that exercise that the words at the beginning may have been a little shy, a little awkward. At the end of the exercise, after they have some experience points under their belt, they start to see the world perceives them in a different light. Mm -hmm. And now what they realize is, wait a second, my first impression, the way the world perceives me is actually under my control. I can influence that. I can improve that. That's incredibly empowering versus disempowering, which is what a lot of these negative limiting beliefs are that we're thinking of. And something you were mentioning, in order for all these things to happen, having a good sense of of your thought processes is very important to your success. And as somebody such as yourself, who's trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, we can certainly understand the thought processes that would, as AJ is saying, if you get this one negative review, to be able to move beyond that and look at the mm-hmm. exercise as a whole rather than individually. Yeah, I think that that's really powerful. And I can see the researcher in this exercise already, AJ, where you're talking about a nice data set. And you're right, because sometimes people will have that one data point and then they just stop. That's it. Right. They get that one terrible data point and that's it. They're not going to a party for the next six months or they write it off and say, I don't need it anyway. And I think people tell themselves things to protect themselves, but then they have the skills deficiency. And so I, as a cognitive behavioral therapist, am a huge fl- fan of techniques like flooding, where you just give people a bunch of techniques in one short burst. And I know that you guys have a boot camp. <laughs> so can you tell us about your Art of Charm boot camp? Because it sounds really scary, but also really amazing at the same time. And I want to know how it works. So when we started the company uh, essentially 13 years ago with a podcast and interviewing people, we realized that a lot of our listeners were in that boat, having these deficiencies, working through the same things we were. And they asked us, would you coach us? Could you help us with your social skills and our social skills? And, and I was like, well, I guess we could. I don't, we don't have credentials, but we'll try it. And sure enough, we started taking on some phone coaching clients. But as Johnny was saying, the most important thing is the experience of actually mm-hmm. talking to more people, getting that under your belt. So what we designed is a week-long course that's fully immersive and that you actually live with us. So for those of you who don't have roommates, who don't socialize, interact only with your Uber driver, your Postmates delivery guy, uh, (laughs) living in a house together with other strangers, being in a very social environment, and then going out every night of the week and socializing creates an atmosphere to get a ton of wins under your belt. And at the end of the week, to really look at yourself in a totally different light of what you can achieve when you put some focus and energy behind it. The course is focused on nonverbal and verbal communication. Mm. And those are two really important sides of the coin. And a lot of us are deficient in one of those two areas and don't realize it. So Mm. we might be really good conversationally, but we're giving off bad body language. We're not making good eye contact. We're not having warmth in our body language to allow the other person to feel comfortable. Or the opposite, where we might have great body language, but we don't say anything. So we focus (laughs) on both of those areas and we actually film all of our participants. Wow. 
so they can see for themselves, which is really powerful. Mm -hmm. Much like reviewing the video, you see all of those things that you can't possibly tell while you're inside of the bottle, so to speak. So with that self-assessment, exercises, video, we find at the end of the week, they're fully empowered with a new skill set, a new way to approach conversation, different cues to pay attention to that we could talk about in conversation to allow the other person to feel more connected to you. And at the end of the week, they now have a great group of friends too who went through the journey together. So it's a really supportive environment. That sounds like such a fun, comprehensive program. Scary, but also fun. Johnny, when you were still working on your own social skills, where did you feel like you were deficient? Was there the nonverbal side, the verbal? Was there something more specific? Well, considering my background in music, <clears throat> in music, I, I would say that there was, my nickname was Hurricane Johnny. So that would give you an idea of <laughs> my mentality of doing anything. And then on top of that, just my personality at the time. Um, but for myself, I was, I was managing a bar and I was bartending. And as I was getting all these books on body language and communication, I had an outlet every evening to test these new skills. And then mm -hmm. I was able to measure and in, in my tips, just how well they worked. So like uh, an evening would be trait compliments versus superficial compliments. And then mm -hmm. how did that work out on a, in a week of bartending in, in my tips? And so it was able to, to, to be very clear and what things were working, what things weren't. But I know for myself that there was a lot of, um, and why probably I love cognitive behavioral therapy and uh, commitment acceptance therapy, where uh, there are certainly, I had mindsets and a couple, um, emotional reasoning was mm -hmm. certainly one that I had to get over, which is I feel it, therefore it must be true. Yes. When anytime that we're walking into the unknown, we're going to be a little bit nervous and to make that a, and to catastrophize that as something that terrible is going to happen is just ridiculous. Right. I used to do that a lot. And then of course, binocular thinking, uh, mm. black and white. And in fact, I, I was so guilty of that, that I had gotten in an argument with my girlfriend at the time. And she goes, I'm so tired of your black and white thinking. And I, and I said, <laughs> I was like, well, that's just patently, you know, I, that is wrong. I, I don't think in that manner. And she goes, oh, really? And she opened my closet and there was white shirts and black shirts. And I was like, <laughs> Even your clothes. Yeah. I was like, all right, you, well, you won that one. And I <laughs> Also, you're still wearing black. So what's going on? I haven't changed it all. You were wearing black the first time I saw you too. I don't know. Where's makes, your red it, shirt? You claimed it, that there was a red shirt. This is the whole Steve Jobs thing. It just makes things easier when I get up in the morning. <laughs> okay. but, on, but on top of that, I just, I remember that eve that afternoon, I was so mad that I specifically went to the mall and bought a red shirt and I I stuck it in the middle there, like there. And I never wore that shirt. He still has one red shirt. <laughs> the one so red shirt it's, that's it's still hanging. Wash, yeah. Yep, just to make a statement. Um, AJ, what about you? What were some of your own skills deficiencies in the beginning when you were working on this? Well, I grew up with a single dad and, and he was very introverted, very closed off and private and really protective of me and my sister. So I didn't really socialize much growing up. My sister was my best friend. My family was really tight. Because of that, I used my introversion as a crutch, just saying, oh, I'm just an introvert. That's mm -hmm. me. I'm shy. I labeled myself as shy. I would introduce myself as shy. And you can see how that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. If you tell someone I'm shy, well, they're not going to be compelled to talk to you. Right. And then you sit there quietly and you're like, well, I guess I'm shy. Yeah. So that stuck with me until college when really I had on a new campus, had to find friends, and I wasn't playing sports. I didn't have a lot of the team stuff that would naturally create relationships. And 
I didn't collect very many friends. I was pretty frustrated with myself. And I realized, hey, I got to start putting some effort in here if I actually mm -hmm. want to have the amazing group of friends that you see on TV and see in the movies. You actually have to work at it. You have to invite people into your life and not sit around on campus in Ann Arbor hoping people approach you. So I realized this is something that I need to improve. And I spent a good chunk of my college and graduate career working on these things. And it's funny now because I still am introverted, meaning I still get exhausted after a big social function. You know, we mm. entertain clients. I am wiped after that. I am yeah, and you're absolutely moving exhausted. people into home and you hang out with them for a week. I mean, this sounds so antithetical to what an introvert would do to themselves. Exactly. You know? So when people meet me, they're like, I can't believe it. It's now I know how to turn on those traits in myself, mm -hmm. but I still need to recuperate and rejuvenate myself with some alone time, some me time after that event. One, yeah. to have healthy communication, you're going to need to take on the energy of the people that you're speaking with and know whether it needs to be brought up or you're dropping down to them to get through. And that certainly can be exhausting. <laughs> yeah, I think I run generally high and I am an extrovert. And so sometimes I do have to bring my levels down, especially when I'm around colleagues or friends or patients who clearly are <laughs> operating at a different level and I think I'm scaring them. And so that's my own self-awareness that I have to be conscious of. But we know that all types of relationships are important. Family, colleagues, friendships, but we haven't touched on one as much. And I want to talk about dating and romantic relationships because clearly that's really important. I think for a lot of our listeners, they're thinking, man, maybe I haven't been as successful in my romantic life because I haven't truly worked on the social skills. And as we've discussed, this is so important. First impressions, for example, AJ, I know you wrote a blog about this, about the importance of first impressions and sort of these different components of what you need to hit. So, so tell us a little bit about that. I mean, first I wanna hear how were your dating lives before you started working on your social skills and how are they now? <laughs> well, I think for many of us, that is where we get our first negative piece of feedback around our social skills <laughs> <laughs> is in our dating life. So I was no different. Mm. And what was interesting is I went back to home after leaving for school and I ran into some of my high school friends and I got feedback around all of these girls who were attracted to me, but I didn't know because I was shy AJ. And I was so struck by the fact that, man, I was deficient in this area didn't realize it, didn't really get the feedback till I got to college. And I was like, you know what? I definitely want to date. I want to have a great relationship in my life. So that's certainly where I started working on the social skills. That was the genesis of the podcast. We really started with dating. But the thing that's really interesting about this is after you get that first negative signal in dating, typically it's in your career where you get the second signal of, hey, your social skills are deficient. You mm -hmm. start to see other people who are less talented than you get promoted mm -hmm. and you start going, wait, why are they managing people? I've been here longer. I don't understand. You may I, have more hard skills. Exactly. Right? I work hard. Everyone mm -hmm. says I work hard, but that is just one part of the equation. So the show started on dating and of course, wanting to soak up as much of that material as possible, it sent me 
down some sideways pathways that were not helpful, that put me in a position that was inauthentic to myself. Mm -hmm. And really, I think that's sort of the driving message for The Art of Charm is we want to be authentic, but we want to be relatable. And when you when you have both of those pieces working for you, well, you are considered charismatic. But mm -hmm. if you're authentic and just talking about all your negative beliefs and cognitive distortions, yeah. you're going to put some people off. So right. how can we complete that Venn diagram? And, and I looked at well, of course, it starts with the first impression, yes. right? That, and we all have heard it before, you know, first impressions, they last, they Man. don't change. Yeah, I read this crazy research study. And after that, I really was a believer in first impressions where basically after a first impression, it takes 13 to 14 different events for you to change your idea about that person. So if you were just maybe a little late, for your first meeting. It'll take you 13 to 14 times of being on time or early before somebody says, oh, this is not a chronically tardy person. And to me, that was mind blowing. So let's unpack that for those who are swiping right now. Are you gonna get 13 <laughs> chances with that person? Right. No, absolutely not. You know, right now we have fewer and fewer chances to even change that, let alone 13. Mm -hmm. So I always say, you know, if you're not working on your first impression and you're not happy with your first impression, everything else that we could teach you doesn't matter. We're not mm -hmm. going to get to that point. Right. So that's why I did such a deep dive into your first impression, the science behind it. Now, growing up, my dad taught me a great first impression is look someone in the eye, shake their hand. Mm -hmm. Science says, guess what? It starts way before that. It starts when that person actually sees you typically enter the room or from across the room, not when you're actually interacting with them. So you're already laying the groundwork to that first impression before you shake that person's hand. Wow. So that means body language is key. Of course, your appearance is a big part of it. Who you're standing around, who you're interacting mm -hmm. with influences your first impression as well. So we have a lot of clients who are like, well, you know, I try to be social, but my friends, they don't really socialize. And mm -hmm. it's like, well your friends are having a negative influence on your first impression. That's what wow. the science shows. So surrounding yourself with the right people, working on your appearance, and of course, understanding your body language and being open and warm with your body language is the key. Mm -hmm. Something else that's interesting, when we started this company, internet dating, online dating, was it still had a stigma to it. And, yes. And people were were getting involved, but they weren't really speaking about it, but it was obvious <laughs> to everybody that it was going to become a major part of an everyday interaction and technology. Little did we know, I, th I don't think anyone could have foreseen it being this integral and, and, and just on our phones and all that. You were asking about our relationships. The relationship I'm in now is the girl that I met on doing research for our, one of our episodes last Amazing. year. Amazing. Working <laughs> business with pleasure. I love it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, with all this technology that everyone likes to think connects us all, mm -hmm. we're seeing so many people who are trying to build a connection through the apps mm -hmm. and you can, you may be able to get your match and set up some logistics and, and, and a place to meet, but you're not going to create rapport or this attraction through witty one-liners and zingers on the apps. And, <laughs> and it's now gotten to the point where so many guys have decided that they're going to crack this code right. of, of making this work that girls now are putting in their profiles Please, we are not pen pals. If you we get a match, let's we are meeting up. You have within this many uh, exchanges be, before, or I go on to the next. And well, girls it's funny we we had an episode on on our podcast about dating, and Johnny gave a challenge, 
And the problem with technology is we try to use it as a crutch. Mm -hmm. So we find the match and immediately we go to their social media, we go <laughs> Google them, and we start painting this picture in our mind of who this person is mm -hmm. before they even show up on the date. And oftentimes we are way wrong. Yes. If you were to do a Google search of me or Johnny, you're going to get a much different impression than if we actually had a chance to meet in a room together. So we challenged our audience don't do that. Mm -hmm. Don't try to come with a strategy or things that you have in common. Let it happen naturally in that moment. And it's incredibly terrifying. But we had so many listeners write us and say, that changed my experience on these apps because I actually went there. I had to be present. I had to learn about this other person and I gave them a chance. And that's the thing. Mm -hmm. We are giving fewer and fewer chances because the apps have now blinded us to the amount of options we have. Right. Before we used to say, well, I'm probably only going to meet three, four more people in a year. So yeah, I'll overlook some of these deficiencies that my potential partner has. Now it's like, well, I can literally go to the bathroom on the first date and I have seven more matches ready to go. <laughs> and because of that, we're writing people off. We're, mm -hmm. we're jumping to conclusions and making yes. negative assumptions. And unfortunately, the flip side's happening to us too. Yes. So we're getting kicked to the curb. We're getting ghosted. We're getting ignored. And we're like, well, what the heck did I do? I thought it was a great date. I don't mm. understand. Mm. So it has changed the way we approach things. And, and we focus all of our clients on work with what you have, improve what you have, and then go in open-minded. And mm -hmm. you'd be surprised how much easier it is to connect with someone instead of Googling them. The other thing that's happening is this, these connections, as AJ was saying, are so easy and you're getting so many. There is a term that they've coined now called limerence, which is the act of falling in love. You get a, you uh -huh. get addicted to the falling in love part. Right. So people are just chasing limerence without and 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 just skipping the real getting to know each other and building because well now we, that's going to get real and somebody's going to get hurt. But if we just play around and we could just have all these fun uh, falling for it emotions mm -hmm. uh, and with without any of the heartache and right. and certainly. It's everyone's wondering why everyone is so um, right, just running from these things and why the millennials and Gen Z um, Gen Z are getting such a bad rap when it comes to relationships. Well, look at the technology. I I can't even imagine what it would have been like for me at 20 years old trying to date with this technology. Oh, I, I can't imagine <laughs> either. And, you know, of course, you're in a great relationship now, Johnny. AJ, you're getting married. And my own origin story with dating and probably when I first realized my social skills were probably not up to par was when I realized during junior high school that literally guys were running away from me. So do you guys remember when people would send those Valentine grams? You oh, can yeah. buy them in school. And it was always so nerve wracking because you don't want to be that person in that classroom that gets no Valentine grams. So a lot of my girlfriends and I would make packs with each other. Like, please, let's just buy each other Valentine grams. And at least we don't feel completely left out. So anyway, at one point in the class, I remember that <laughs> this is so traumatic for me to talk about. I'm thinking about it. And it's like, whoa, this memory is flooding back to me. Um, this guy comes up to me super angry after the class of the Valentine Grams were delivered. And I was still counting my little girlfriend <laughs> Valentine Grams, pretending I was popular. And he comes up and he says, why did you send me a Valentine Gram? And he looked mad. And I said, I, I didn't send you a Valentine Gram. And he said, well, I don't want it. And he threw it on my desk. 
And it's not from me. There was actually another Judy in the school and it was a secret admirer of his. But he was so disgusted and appalled that oh, I had sent no. him a Valentine gram that he literally made a scene at the end of the class and threw the Valentine gram down on my table. And that's when I thought, you know what? I don't think the guys like me so much and I don't know why exactly but you know I had other stories like this my sister was on the podcast and she and I talked about some other embarrassing stories of you know just my junior high school dating life but I kind of recovered from that and then as an adult I did go into the internet dating for a little while and it's as you guys said it was really awkward because sometimes they would get into these long conversations by yeah. email then you meet them and there is no <laughs> chemistry whatsoever and in my mind I'm thinking I know intellectually this is a guy I should like you know he's nice mm -hmm. he has a nice job he seems like he has good values but you don't connect socially and yet they were such wonderful writers and oh. they were good at that piece. Well, you, know? you have all day to figure out the witty line and the jokes and the, and, and your sister to ask yeah. <laughs> and your mom to help. Like, and and we get it all the time. We get hit up with messages. Hey, urgent AJ, what do I say on Tinder? I'm like, I'm not writing your How, Tinder yeah, profile. And, like, well, and it's just, it's, it never ceases to amaze us. And I see it all the time. And we have, our groups where our guys are interacting and trying to work through a lot of this stuff. And I will catch them following, following down that trail of how do I do this through text? It's like, mm -hmm. well, first of all, let's stop trying to do this through text. This is why you're getting in trouble. And the, <laughs> the more you try to force this, the more frustrated you're going to get. Mm -hmm. And the only way out of this is to not go down this road right. and to develop yourself. Because if you are feeling good about who you are and your skills, then your dates are going to go great. And so one of the, the, the comparisons that I was running on, on this research was. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you put it in quotation yeah. marks. Research. Very He's getting cool. a PhD. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> swipe life. Swipe life. <laughs> swipe life. <laughs> but I was going in, uh, getting a match and then trying to figure out a lot of things about the person, go through their social media, try to find things in common, go into the date, armed to the teeth with topics to talk about. And you would think that's a solid plan. You know what this person, who this person is, you have these commonalities, mm -hmm. then you have plenty of stuff to talk about. But what I found was rather than being present mm -hmm. and focused on the other person, you're trying to force conversational avenues that you think might be well because this other person seemed to be talking about this on their social media. What you don't have is the context of how they went down those social avenues, those conversational mm -hmm. avenues. So comparatively to going in, knowing absolutely nothing about the person, having a few text exchanges, uh, a quick phone call, mm -hmm. 10 minutes just to chat and put together a date and then go in with the idea of presence focused on the other person. And of course, what we talk about on the show, emotional bids mm -hmm. um, coined by the Gottman Institute, which are so powerful, which allows you to move down any conversational avenue and enjoy it. And mm. going in that way, now that's a little bit more scary because you're going in as you feel unprepared, but the actuality is your skills are prepared. Mm. And, and not only did the dates go better, I mean, they were just so much more enjoyable and I was getting so much more out of them and on both sides, such great connections. And I still have uh, a lot of friends that I still talk to through that whole um, thing. But 
Damn. So they didn't become your romantic partners, but you relegated them to the friend zone. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> Johnny has a friend zone. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what, what was funny about this was we ta- shared this a bit of the story, and immediately the women's response was, "Oh my God, Johnny, you're calling women. I would totally love to go out mm-hmm. with you because so many men are trying to just focus on text, yeah. and women are like." Exactly that. I don't want to go on a date with someone that I've only written texts with. And there's a little bit of security and, and sense of safety issue. But then also, if you can have a conversation over the phone these days, you set yourself apart from 90 plus percent of people who are just sitting there texting emojis. Yes. So using the phone, another social skill, right? You're seeing a common theme here. Every important road, uh, every important life event that you have job, promotion, buying a car, a house, proposing, it involves you having a conversation with someone else. Right. And when we talk about technology and disruption and what's happening with automation, it is the redundant tasks that are going away. Social skills are at a premium. If you can actually enhance your social skills, you become more hireable in an automation environment. And that's that's the crazy part about the science. So it's like, wow, this helps me in my dating life. I have more happiness and my longevity and my health. And oh, by the way, all those other things, being able to get a car for less, being able to get a raise, marry someone. Yeah, you got to have a conversation. You can't text your way to any of that. Right. And not for those important conversations, the outcome is going to be dependent on those skills that you've developed. Mm -hmm. And to go into these hoping it goes okay is terrifying. But going in, knowing that you have a plan, you understand what you're looking to get out of this and you have avenues and how you're going to go about this, this allows you to feel good with, with this. And why people will not take the time out and spend a little bit of time and money and and developing these skills, which makes this everything so much easier. You're now, you're not dreading going to a network event. Now you're not dreading going to your girlfriend's friend's birthday party where you hope your girlfriend doesn't have to babysit you. I mean, uh, like these things go away, the, the better you are, the better your skills are. Yeah, I love that you guys are saying this. And it's actually a huge validation for my own personal life because I hate texting. (laughs) I really do. And I've actually had friends tell me they were mad at me for not texting them back quick enough. But to me, texting feels a little bit like an email. And I'd rather just wait till I have a chance to call them. And sometimes it's a couple days later and they ask me, well, didn't you see my text? I'm like, I'm sorry, that's not a substitute for getting to know about your life. You texted me a wall of text about how your date went. And I honestly, I didn't read it. I'm calling you to ask you about it. But sometimes they get offended that I somehow didn't look at that. Or didn't you see my Facebook post yesterday? I'm like, (laughs) I know I didn't. I'm sorry, but I'm calling you. Isn't that better? And so I think it is interesting because in this new world that we have of social media and, and texting and how that is just so normalized, sometimes people don't recognize that everything starts with a real life conversation. Well, one of my favorite moments of of going through this, uh, the swipe life stuff was having, I was got a match, I was texting with this girl and I said, Hey, well, this has been great. Uh, let's hop on a phone call in the next day or so and chat and things work out. Well, we'll meet up. She goes, Oh my God, you mean like we're going to talk on the phone? And I was like, she's like, can't we just text? I'm like, well, you do realize that in order for both of us to feel good about the date, we should probably get on a call. And she goes, you know what? You're so right. I'm just, I've got, I forgot all about this. Yeah. Like it's been so uh, such a long time for her to go. 
for, to be asked to get on a phone call and be like, oh, right, like there are people who do do Use the this. phone <laughs> <laughs> to talk. Who yeah. are thinking about the quality of our interaction and whether or not we can go on a date. Because these guys and, and, and women are trying to force these rapport building and attraction episodes through text and it just doesn't work. And of course, these dates are going to be catastrophes for the right. most part. I mean, there are exceptions to the rule, mm -hmm. but- uh, well, they, and they're also, social media is not a substitute <laughs> for communicating to the world your life. I mean, right. I think we're all living in this bubble of our reality is now on our wall. It's on our Instagram. So of yes. course, everyone else knows about it. I posted it. How do you not know? <laughs> well, I was too busy thinking about my post to see right? your post. <laughs> so we, we've now created this dynamic where if you can just have a conversation, you cut through all of that, all yes. of the middleman crap, and you actually connect with people. And it's so remarkable, the testimonials that we get after the program of like, I wish I would have done this 10 years ago. I wish I would have done this 20 years ago. Like, you guys have mm -hmm. saved me so much pain and so much frustration thinking it was me. And I just didn't have the right tools. Speaking of tools, I would love to hear some of your favorite tips on how our listeners can supercharge their social skills. I think everyone's listening and they're saying, okay, yes, if we have the skills and we can feel confident walking into unknown situations and be able to be our authentic selves and actually get something wonderful out of it. So what are some of your favorite skills that you can share? Do you want to kick it off? Yeah. I think for a lot of people that listen to our show and a lot of people who just have awareness that I need to work on my social skills, the first thing they think about is, well, how do I start a conversation? Yes. Icebreakers come up all the time and you can Google them. There are a long list of them, but science shows the more interested you are in someone else, naturally, the more interested they're going to be in you. Mm -hmm. So the easiest way to short circuit all of that and not have to memorize any lines is to focus on open-ended questions to start the conversation. So a question that's not responded to with a yes or a no answer. So who are you here with? Where are you from? How'd you find out about this great event? Those are all great questions to break the ice, to get the other person talking. Now, as Johnny said, we have to start listening on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. And many of us don't know that there's actually five levels to listening. Mm. We don't realize this. We think, oh, I, I listen. I'm a great listener. Odds are you're only really listening to your own inner dialogue, which is the first level. What is going on with me? The second level is just the content. So the words that they're saying, but there's context, there's meaning, there's unsaid. There are all these other levels to listening and you have to be present to access them. You right. can't just be focused on what's going on in your head. So we teach paying attention to emotional bids, as Johnny said earlier. Now, these are moments in the conversation when the other person is expressing emotion towards you because they want to connect. And we all connect on emotion. So if we start listening to those moments where someone says, well, this is my favorite event, or I love this song, or I hate this, or I don't like this, they're sharing their feelings with you. Mm -hmm. So they want to have those feelings validated. They want to have those feelings heard. So an emotional bid, when we hear that emotional bid, we want to validate it with a statement that allows them to feel heard. And a lot mm -hmm. of us fall into this trap where we just ask a follow-up question. Mm -hmm. So I go, what are you drinking? You go, oh, tequila. What kind of tequila? <laughs> oh, and you just ask a couple questions and all of a sudden you're not in a conversation. 
And you're right. like, well, what is what happened, AJ? I'm asking questions. Mm. You have to add something to the conversation. So mm. our conversation formula is we ask a question of the other person. We have to listen to their answer, listen deeper than our own thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. And then we have to respond in the form of a statement. And I know what some of our listeners are thinking, but AJ, what if I don't drink tequila? Or what if I don't know anything about this venue or those sports? That's still a statement. Yes. Oh, I've never had that tequila is still a statement. It discloses right. something about yourself so the other person can start to get a sense of who you are. You're not just pulling information from them. Mm. You know what? I, this actually reminds me of something that you wrote, Johnny, an article about getting respect by adding value adding value to even the conversation. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, sometimes the value is, whoa, I don't really know about that. Can you tell me more? And that is a good starting place. And sometimes people are intimidated by that, but you're right. A lot of times, especially when it's a first conversation, you don't know the person, you're probably a little nervous. You know how we all do this when you're not aware. You just think about what you're going to say next. Mm -hmm. And there's talking and you're thinking about what you're going to say next. And then before you know it, you forgot the person's name, what they just told you, and you're still lingering on something that they said five minutes ago. Well, to go along, if you're going to get good at this, if you're going to be able to identify and validate emotional bids, the only thing that you can do is practice. I know that there's a lot of people who are probably listening to this that are like, yeah, yeah, emotional bids, I got it. I, I'm just going to be able to turn this on. Thank you guys for sharing that with me. But but <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You have to do these things in order to get good. Yes. Um, emotional bids once you understand what the concept is, everyone goes, oh, yeah, got it. But unless you're actively looking for them in conversation and identifying them and validating them and then uh, picking threads in which you can explore those, you are not learning anything. You're just writing down things that we're saying. And it's what's great about our, our program. And we are always in trying to encourage the people who listen to our show is to get out there and give these things a chance, mm -hmm. go out and practice emotional bids. You would be surprised the connections that you have the, that deepen and just how well a conversation that you'll get. And once these skills are developed, you go into every situation knowing that's handled. I'm excited. Let me get in there. And it allows you to focus on the things that matter if you're focused on what your the internal dialogue, you're not hearing emotional bids. You're, right. you're not you're not seeing the micro expressions. Uh, the only thing that you're doing is is going through your own internal <laughs> judging dialogue. yourself, really. Yeah. yeah, and when you leave that interaction, when you go home, the only thing that you can think about is what was going on up here. Yes. You can't even decide if, whether or not that was a great conversation. We well, right. brought up another point around giving value and. A lot of people think, but AJ, I'm boring. I don't have a lot to offer to the conversation. Yeah. I have a bit of a shut-in. I'm shy. I'm awkward. I'm introverted. We've heard all of this mm -hmm. uh, throughout the episode. Giving value, we wanted to distill down that term because we hear it thrown around a lot, but mm -hmm. how can I actually give someone value? What is that? We call it the three A's. Your attention. Actually being attentive. As we said, listening. Mm -hmm. Not on your device. Not swiping to the next person. Not thinking about where you're going to go for dinner but giving that person attention. It doesn't really cost you anything, mm -hmm. and it gives an immense amount of value to the other person. The second one is appreciation, and not the surface level like, oh, nice shirt, or hey, I like mm -hmm. your haircut, but something about their personality. What mm -hmm. did you feel at a gut level around their personality? Are they energetic? Are they outgoing? Are they confident? Let them know that. Express that. And the third A is acceptance, and that's when you Welcome them into your life. Hey, throw your number in my phone. Here, let's connect on LinkedIn. If you go around looking for opportunities to give people value in those three areas, this whole social skills thing that we're talking about becomes a lot easier. 
But a lot of us, we go in saying, oh, I don't have much going on in my life. I, what can I give to them? I come from a uh, difficult background. None of that really matters if you focus on these things that don't cost you anything. And that's what we talk about building social capital. You yeah. know, both of us blue collar guys, we come from the Midwest. We didn't come here, you know, on a trust fund ready to just set the world on fire. We had to start by building relationships. And when you focus on those three things, you create social capital and you have amazing opportunities like this. And once again, I mean, for some of the listeners, like, got it. Focus on value. <laughs> <Some of you're laughs> and yeah, okay, that's the first step. You've you've written it down. Can you internalize it? Can you do it? The more you practice, the better you're gonna get. And what people don't realize is they have their everyday lives in which they do interact with people and they can strengthen these these skills mm -hmm. through their everyday interactions. But they just don't look at those days like that. They don't look at Monday going, who will I be seeing today? Mm -hmm. And how, what, what, how can I improve identifying and validating emotional bids today in my, nor in my, in my day? <laughs> right. And they never think about it that way, but they have all sorts of opportunities to. Yeah, you know, I've learned so much from both of you today, just in terms of how a small switch in your mindset and a belief that if you build social capital and if you work on these skills in a practical way and you actually do them, how much it can improve your life. And so in this vein, I want to challenge our listeners with the supercharged tip of the day, which is go practice the yeah. three A's. Go do the three A's. And my challenge is in the next day that you do the three A's, the attention, the appreciation, and the acceptance with a family member, a colleague, and a friend. And see how much better you feel at the end of those interactions and also how much value you really did give them. You can even ask them, how did that feel like for you when I called you and we chatted? You know, sometimes it's really nice to just ask them in the moment, particularly if it's somebody that you trust. And I feel like once people start practicing it, they, it kind of builds on itself, right? You yes. start to feel good about yourself and then you do more and you do more and then it kind of just goes from there. Well, once you see there's a little bit extra in these interactions that perhaps you maybe have not looked at before, it becomes fun. It becomes mm -hmm. a game and you look forward to doing it. And that's how we met. Yeah. Right. We met through a mutual friend, through social capital. Our personal trainer came on the show and was like, oh, now I love what you guys do. We offered a lot of value to him. And he's like, I have someone in mind to come on your show. And, and all of a sudden you start creating relationships without all this effort that you think it really goes into. Right. It's a daily practice of giving value becomes a habit and all these opportunities open up. Yeah. You know, we've actually been having a ton of fun on this podcast episode. We've been using our very good verbal and nonverbal skills. You guys hold the best and most comfortable eye contact that I've ever been around. It's not too much. It's not too little. It's genuine. It's authentic. So I'm just loving all of this that you're, you guys are doing. And I just commend you so much for as I said, marrying the science and the art to really help create better lives for people. So tell us a little bit about where people can find all of your good work. I know we've spoken about your boot camp, which, as I said, scary, but sounds like an amazing <laughs> experience. You guys give tons of free content. You have your great mm -hmm. podcasts, you have your blogs, and you have an accelerator program. You have free handouts that you give to people who come visit your website. But how else can people get engaged with you and know more about your programs? I think number one is the podcast. Mm -hmm. It's where it all started. We have toolbox episodes each and every month where we go deep into the science and practical skills that we're talking about theartofcharm.com slash toolbox for that. And if anything that we're saying sounds a little overwhelming, sounds a little difficult, check out our free social skills challenge. 
It's basically 10 days where we fill you with all this great information with very specific, simple challenges you can do to start seeing these opportunities that Johnny was talking about in your daily life. And you can find that at theartofcharm.com slash challenge. Awesome. Thank you both for being here. And thank you listeners for tuning in and joining us. Be sure to subscribe, download, listen, and tell your friends about this podcast. I'm Dr. Judy. Now go supercharge your life. <laughs>